How can Christians react to possibly necessary cancellations of badly behaving fantasy creators? I'm Zachary Russell, and this is episode 54 of Fantastical Truth. This is our second episode in a two-part series about free speech and cancel culture. In part one, Stephen Burnett and I examine the difference between necessary canceling and legalistic canceling. We discussed how Christians can respond to this phenomenon, how we can even love our enemies in the cancel mobs, with a few recent examples from popular culture. Now for part two, we'll look at how we can deal with the stories created by the canceled, especially when the cancellation was deserved. Stephen and I look at two more recent examples. What do we do with fantastical worlds and their creators when these creative heroes turn out to be the villains? Another thing that it has helped me to recognize is that people who have suffered genuine trauma or think they have are looking for a community. And so even if their trauma wasn't that bad, they're going to find in the trauma of those for whom it was very bad, they will find in them the language to express their own stories. Maybe I had a pretty terrible youth group. I may especially resonate then with someone who came out of a genuine cult, you know, where they were abused and there was, you know, a terrible, terrible teaching and, you know, genuine being cut off from society. You know, I may be a college graduate, you know, but find myself, you know, strangely attracted to the story of someone who, you know, never even graduated from high school because their cult was so manipulative. And then all those folks can get together and they find, hey, together, you know, we, we have a shared interest in striking back against the powerful. And I think this is how these, these kinds of groups get started. And what also tends to happen is that white knighting thing you mentioned, Zach, is that in becoming a hero, I can cover for my own sufferings. Like I don't have to think about all the bad things that happened to me if I can appoint myself the savior of this other, more oppressed group over here. Uh, there's a great drama taking place there that people make up for themselves. And if you interfere with that, if you say, well, you know, actually that oppressed group is getting pretty powerful now, you know, like the, the cultural tides have turned and mixing metaphors here, but they're the ones increasingly in charge. It's not that I've messed with that group. I've now messed with you. If you fancy yourself, the self-appointed guardian of that group and their interests, I've challenged you and I've said, you're not so tough. You're not so special. And then up come all those suppressed feelings that you were trying to distract yourself from by appointing yourself the hero of oppressed group X. And it's not just about them, it's about you. And I I may not know that. I'm out there just talking about, you know, disagreeing with the positions of this group, but you've loaded it up with all these emotional uh, expectations and this entire, uh, you know, drama. And and I've messed with that. If I know, however, that that may be what's going on, then I can understand this isn't just about facts and logic and intellectual or philosophical disagreement. This is about you using all of these issues as a, as a great drama uh, to reflect some other things that I don't even see. And in so understanding, I may know when to pull my punches, uh, when just to walk away, understanding, okay, this person in the comment section, like they're clearly loading this up with some very personal things that I don't even see. And I will say, Zach, the few times, you know, this, the few times when I pointed that out, like, dude, this seems to be really personal for you. Like, I don't know what's going on, but. I know this isn't just about the issue. People will get enraged, absolutely enraged when you point that out. So I I need to stop pointing that out because that's not my place. 
if there's any family member or church member or someone, some friend in person uh, who's close to that person in real life, that that needs to happen on that level. I can't fix that over the internet. And so one of those things we have to do with the bad kinds of canceling or trolling or whatever, we got to know when, when to just walk away. Well, and we've mostly talked about people that are canceled unjustly. You know, either they were, they were actually the hero in the story that we were enjoying, or they were, you know, maybe the victim or something. Uh, they weren't the villain that other people make them out to, to be. You know, we, we should talk in a second about you know, some actual villains, I guess you could say, that were canceled righteously. Just a quick note here, though, about heroes, victims, villains. I, I, I've heard it said that everyone thinks of themselves as the hero or the victim, but never the villain. And again, I think that's something that we have to kind of gently remind people of, of like, you know, you may actually be the villain in this story. It's good to always check yourself. And that's why I wrote the article uh, a few weeks back about how God uses story villains for our good. Sometimes we have to take a really hard look at the villains and stories and think, am I becoming more like the villain, you know, than the hero in the story? That's very uncomfortable. And no one wants to think of themselves that way. But, you know, it's like that, uh, that famous GK Chesterton quote when, when the newspaper said, you know, what's wrong with the world? And, and he replied saying, I am. I think that's the posture we have to have that we, we are just as capable of being the villain in the story. But, you know, let's talk about this third question. If cancellation was moral, how do we view the canceled or their stories? And let's talk about some people, some, some creators that have been sort of the villain in the story and, and were somewhat rightly canceled. Right. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, alluded, I mean, there's basically two film directors. And oddly enough, uh, both of them have worked on you know, many fantasy franchises, but also some, some of the Marvel uh, superhero films. And yet both of them have, at least so far, had what I would consider to be very different responses to the attempt to cancel them. One, James Gunn actually ended up, you know, basically having his kingdom restored to him, rightly or wrongly, that's for you to judge. I, I have my developing opinions on that, but it's, it's not fixed. I, I don't know him. All I know is what I see. And some of that may be PR, some of that may be genuine. Uh, the other example is Joss Whedon, uh, directed Avengers and uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, created Firefly, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a bunch of other things. He, as we mentioned earlier, has been accused of, I would say, far worse offenses, you know, not just words, but actions. There's that divide again. Is this about potentially harmful words or actually harmful actions, you know, that actually harmed people up close and personal? As far as I can tell, there's that disclaimer again, Whedon's actions in person, no matter how long ago, actively harmed people, uh, right up to the uh, apparent, the, the production of, uh, what uh, fans derisively refer to as Justice League, the, uh, the Justice League chopped up version, not Zack Snyder's version, uh, which released in uh, November 2017. And afterwards, it came out. A lot of the cast members said, hey, he was really abusive. Like He was really threatening. He was really nasty. Uh, he wanted Gal Gadot to do this uh, like, you know, body contact gag uh, with uh, Ezra Miller, who played the Flash, and she wouldn't do it. Uh, he cut out uh, Ray Fisher, who would have played uh, Cyborg. He just he reduced his story to rubble, uh, bits and pieces of it in the movie because of a really short runtime or whatever reason. You know, it just seemed like the first thing he went to cut uh, was the black guy, and Ray Fisher was not happy about that, and is actually you know pushed back very strongly against uh, not only Joss Whedon but those whom Fisher feels uh, supported or enabled him in his bad behavior. So we've got some bad behavior going on here, but then we also have James Gunn, 
uh, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, in Volume 2. He had a lot to say about how the Guardians were portrayed in Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, And then uh, recently he just finished a a movie for DC, uh, the distinguished competition uh, called The Suicide Squad. Harley Quinn and her amazing friends getting blown up in R rating and everybody's supposed to be excited about it. And Zach, I'm actually kind of not. I like a lot of James Gunn's work with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I I can't care about the Suicide Squad. I'm sorry. I just don't. <laughs> um, I want DC hero stories. I want Marvel hero stories. I, like, I'll watch the Loki series, but I really don't care about the villains. And deep down, I'm secretly concerned about people who over-obsess with the villains and think they're so cool. We live in a society where honor is a distant memory and people are respecting villains more than heroes. Not, not cool. Anyway, um, tangent over. I do view James Gunn here as, as a special case, uh, someone who somehow managed to come back from the dead of cancellation, but, but his cancellation was a bit unique. To recap, a few years ago, James Gunn was defending someone else, and then someone, I think it was a right-wing marginal fringe provocateur or something, went back and found a bunch of I will just say it, pedophilic jokes, repeated pedophilic jokes that James Gunn was making, stuff I don't want to repeat here, and basically presented the screen caps and said, hey, is this you? This is a few years before Guardians of the Galaxy, and James Gunn's still pretty fringe. I think he made a Scooby-Doo movie. You know, he's, he's pretty, um, pretty young in his career and was just making these nasty jokes, um, doing nasty costume parties and stuff, just really terrible stuff. The Disney Corporation immediately went, okay, that guy's out. Like we're family friendly. We, we're not we're not we're not hiring a guy or making him our star player uh, who, who was making jokes about kids. You know, what were we thinking? I don't know if they didn't see this. You'd think they was would have come up in the vetting, but who knows what happened anyway. After that, it ended up that everybody came to James Gunn's defense. For one thing, they hated it that it had been a right wing guy who had been part of uh, you know his, his cancellation, finding these old tweets. Uh, and for another thing, all the actors, I think it was all of them from Guardians of the Galaxy, stepped forward. They actually signed a document that said, we've never seen him behave like this. Those were terrible jokes, but he doesn't actually do this. Everybody came to his defense. And of course, Warner Brothers immediately went, hmm, Guardians of the Galaxy guy. Okay, you're hired. Uh, so now James Gunn is one of the few people who's worked for both Marvel and DC, because once he's finished with the Suicide Squad, he's going right back for Guardians Volume 3, I guess. But it's important to note what Gunn did after. It's hilarious. His last name is Gunn, by the way. G-U-N-N. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I find that funny. But what he did afterwards is I uh, actually went back and I got his tweets. What some of the good things that he said, like, I mean, that's up to you to decide whether this was sufficient. But when he was still fired, you know, who knows what he was saying behind the scenes with Disney. And he probably knew there was a lot of public support for him. So like, I'm not saying he's an angel or this is a fantastic example of repentance. but here are the tweets he said in response, quote, one, many people who have followed my career know when I started, I viewed myself as a provocateur, making movies and telling jokes that were outrageous and taboo. As I have discussed publicly many times, as I've developed as a person, so has my work and my humor, too. It's not to say I'm better, but I am very, very different than I was a few years ago. Today, I try to root my work in love and connection and less in anger. My day saying something just because it's shocking and trying to get a reaction are over. Three, in the past, I have apologized for humor of mine that hurt people. I truly felt sorry and meant every word of my apologies. Four, for the record, when I made these shocking jokes, I wasn't living them out. I know this is a weird statement to make and seems obvious, but still, here I am saying it. 
five. Anyway, that's the completely honest truth. I used to make a lot of offensive jokes. I don't anymore. I don't blame my past self for this, but I like myself more and feel like a more full human being and creator today. Love you to you all. End quote. I think that's a sick there at the last. Otherwise, this was really carefully written. He had semicolons and everything. We'll link to that Twitter thread in the show notes. I know, I mean, there's some good here. Like, I, I wish he'd been more repentant, I think, you know, being very clear. Hey, it's wrong to make jokes about children. You know, I mean, he was literally making jokes about abusing children. It was stupid. I mean, these are just stupid. They're not even funny if you see them. They're just dumb, as well as being repulsive. But I did appreciate his seeming understanding about his motives. Like, guys, like what I was doing was rooted in anger. Like, he seemed to rightly identify that as the sin. Uh, and in his case, because he's not been accused at all of actually doing those kinds of abuses to children or grownups or women, especially, like, that's what I looked for. I looked for the support of the female cast members in his movies. And it was right up there with the male support. Like, everybody was saying, that actually is not who he is. We've never seen him do anything like that. But he also doesn't admit to sins that he apparently did not do. Uh, he, he concentrates on who he was as a person. Like he, he speaks of it in a very humanistic way. That's not who I am, but he says it in a different way. You know, there's less of sin and repentance here, but he does emphasize growth. Like it seems to be a calculated pushback against the notion that people are flat two-dimensional beings across their lifespans, which is just not true. But he also makes it very clear, like, I didn't do that. I was making nasty jokes about that, but I've never actually done that. And that matters to me. Uh, I think that matters if someone is apologizing for what they actually did, but clarifying what they didn't do. Like, I think I can at least respect that as a legitimate self-defense to very graciously push back against slander. Uh, and I think that actually someone who was wrongly canceled, uh, like Gina Carano uh, or anybody else, that like, could learn from that. Now, there's got to be a gentle way to push back against any mob and say, no, this actually isn't me. Like, prove it. Pro prove that's what I did. Like, that's that's not true. Like, Gina Carano is actually doing that. She's saying, like, no, I, I don't hate anyone. This is ridiculous. Uh, in this case, though, there was more mob in favor of James Gunn, and it was somebody at Disney who jumped the gun and just went ahead and fired him. Uh, so it was a little bit different. Uh, he wasn't actually facing some giant mob. Yeah, well, and you could sort of understand why Disney did that with the nature of his jokes and then this, you know, concern of like, is he making these jokes because he's actually participated in that, you know, horrible crime? You know, it's not just a sin, but it's a crime to do the things he's joking about. Or, or is he just callous to that happening? Like, could he have looked the other way if someone else had committed that crime? And I mean, I think that was a good thing by Disney to sort of, have that cautious approach of just be like, you know, what you're, what you're talking about is a very serious matter and you're not taking it seriously. So we don't know why. And, uh, we, we have to sort of force you to rebuild that trust now. Yeah. And, and like you said, as far as I know, nothing's ever come out about abusive behavior that he's done, which is good. And I, I think a lot of people here get caught in the, the thing you've quoted before, Stephen, of the, um, is it screw tape letters? I, I know it's C.S. Lewis where he's like, you know, suppose you read in the newspaper that someone is not as uh, bad. Mere Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think it's mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, you read that someone is not as bad as you thought they were. You know, do you get upset because you, you wanted to really, you wanted them to be exposed for the villain you know they are. You know, I, I think that's sort of the, the quandary a lot of people find themselves in, especially because 
he, like you said, he was called out by a a conservative uh, person who, you know, wanted to sort of, I don't know, get revenge, I guess on, or or a right wing, a right wing person. Like, I mean, they're they're not always the same. I, I forget who it was. It was just, it was just some crackpot out there somewhere. Right. And I, I think a lot of people got behind that because they're like, well, turnabout is fair play. Exactly. You know, it, it's right wing people always getting canceled. So it's about time a left wing person gets canceled and wh- whether or not he's really guilty. Yeah, I don't go for this mutually assured destruction thing. <laughs> we, we cannot right. go for that. Yeah. We, we shouldn't want to join a counter mob just to sort of balance the scales. Like that's not going to work. Right. Shapiro actually, in that interview, he actually mentioned that, uh, that he disagreed with Carano's you know, overwrought Holocaust comparisons like that. You know, yeah. whatever you think of him or Daily Wire guys or whatever, I think it was both him and uh, Andrew Andrew Clavin, who's another podcast host there, who's actually a professing Christian who's written epic fantasy. So uh, this person is a fellow traveler, even if we don't know him in person. But both of them, I think, uh, well, Shapiro definitely, I think Clavin also echoed this a bit. You know, both of them said, you know, it's just generally not a good idea to do overwrought Holocaust comparisons. Oh, yeah. It's, it's invoking Godwin's law. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's a bit amateurish, but that's just yeah. the point. It's amateur stuff. It's not intentional, wicked. Hey, we're just like, you know, so-and-so group, you know, being persecuted. Like there is a difference and a discerning person, especially if you knew the person, would know the difference. And in this case, apparently discerning people, like including uh, Karen Gillan and uh, Zoe Saldana and other you know, female actors who'd worked closely with James Gunn to make his Guardians of the Galaxy movies, they were among those who defended him. And th- I do look for that. Uh, I look for people who, you know, if, if he'd been fired and if he had acted on these terrifically nasty jokes, uh, then people needed to come out of the woodwork and say, yeah, you know, he, he, he did this. I don't even remember any false accusations. Whereas other directors like uh, Brian Singer, uh, who mm-hmm. has been into really, really terrible stuff, uh, or uh, um, there's another director, Brett Ratner, who basically got um, got removed from polite Hollywood society because he was abusive, at least on the adult level. Uh, and then um, who's the actor? Oh, yeah. Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, yeah. Kevin Spacey as well. Yeah. You know, he's 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 gone. Like they literally reshot his part for a movie <laughs> like Christopher Plummer took his place. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, but some of that does need to say something very serious about the most serious offense here, which is abuse, yeah. abuse and assault and, and, you know, legit, uh, harmful discrimination and particularly against women, uh, and those who are in vulnerable places, you know, we actually somehow haven't name checked Harvey Weinstein. I wouldn't even call that a cancellation. You know what he did. I mean, just rape assault, just total abuse of the power that he had uh, as an executive producer. Like that's not cancellation. That's just the legal process. That is way different though, from what was going on with James Gunn, which is just words. And I wish he'd said more, um, but you know, I'm glad that he said what he did and I will go out on a limb at least as of this date, I'm glad that he's back working on guardians of the galaxy. It's not that I really wanted him to finish that because the one thing I cannot forgive him for is guardians volume two. It was dumb. I'm sorry, Marvel fans. I'm sorry. Like it's oh, actually, I liked it. <laughs> it's worse than Thor, the dark world. Uh, I, I saw it again, just to think, just to try to see if it would get any better. It doesn't. It's just, there's, he, I know he says he wants to do stuff out of love and there's some of that in there, but it's just not a good movie. It's not one of the better Marvel movies at all. I enjoyed the incredible Hulk from 2008, uh, more than guardians volume two. I enjoy Iron Man two better than guardians of the Vol- galaxy volume two okay i'll stop if y'all love it if y'all want to see you know yondu slaughtering a bunch of people while the fun music plays 
and then we're supposed to uh, critique uh, the the big uh, ego planet guy because he's going to slaughter a bunch of people without the cool music playing. Uh, if if you like that kind of double messaging, then go for it. I think it's hypocritical, and I just hope that that's the only hypocritical thing that James Gunn has done. But even if Guardians Two was good. Could we still enjoy it? And even if he had not repented, like that's another question. And I guess we'll close out here in a little bit, you know, talking about, uh, you know, okay, how do you look now at the Avengers movie? You know, Joss yeah. Whedon, like how do you look at that? We'll, we'll have to get to that kind of, kind of to, to, to finally cap off this very long and surprisingly in-depth discussion. Well, that, that's the question, right? Can you separate the art from the artist? Um, can you dun, enjoy dun, dun. <laughs> the age old question? You know, can you enjoy music, a book, a movie, uh, a painting, you know, something created by someone who is very fallible or fallen or villainous, you know, that, that is uh that's not an easy question. I, I've had my own moments with this, with, uh, Michael Jackson, who I, I grew up loving all of his music and I sort of don't want to hear it anymore. And even in totally different spheres, you know, with Robbie Zacharias now, there's uh, pretty awful things now that have, have come out about him posthumously. And, you know, all, all the accusations were true and they're even worse than we thought. I have a lot of his books on my shelf. And I, I'm just like, I, I don't know if I ever want to read those again or have my kids read them. It's just, it's too mixed up. Now, I can't like erase those books from my mind, right? The, the sort of things that I've learned from him are still good things. I was, I was listening to some commentary about Ravi Zacharias. She brought this uh, podcaster brought up uh, Philippians 1, 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So I think the best description I heard of Ravi Zacharias, he wasn't simply a fallen preacher. He wasn't even a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was a wolf in shepherd's clothing. So, uh, in, in a lot of similarities, we'll see with Joss Whedon in a minute, but what do you do with the things that they produced? And I think this Philippians one passage is a good starting point that, you know what? He preached the gospel. He was using the gospel in his position to abuse other people, but the gospel still got out and that is still a valuable thing. It doesn't excuse anything he did. It doesn't minimize it, but we have to sort of. It, it's okay to rejoice that the gospel got out. I, I guess that's all I'm going to say is that I'm glad for how my mind was changed and other people heard the gospel. That's about all I can say though. I think that. that is a really good parallel. I think for trying to understand someone who was rightly canceled, you know, whether it's a film director or novelist or somebody like that, you know, whether professing Christian or not, and yeah, I mean, the template I kind of fixed on here is is that of uh, Joss Whedon. Uh, we've already introduced him. You know, if you're a fan person, especially if you enjoy uh, the first two Avengers movies, uh, you have benefited from his work. Uh, going back to the 90s, I was actually reviewing an article uh, posted at a feminist website. We will link to that into the show notes called The Rise and Fall of Joss Whedon and the Myth of the, I think it's the Feminist uh, Creator. 
he was known as a big feminist in the 90s. Like he made uh, Buffy, you know, this uh, teenage high school student who slaughters vampires, kind of subverted the horror trope, you know, of the, uh, you know, the weak woman who actually goes out after the vampires. And full disclosure, I don't think I've seen a single even clip of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I understand its significance uh, for serialized television and in the portrayal of uh, female heroes in visual storytelling. And yet it turns out that uh, plot twist, uh, it was Agatha all along. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> bit of a spoiler. Sorry about that. Uh, now it was, it was misogyny all along. Um, and apparently, you know, whatever feminist impulses he had were coexisting with some much nastier impulses. Uh, everybody's going back and going, wait a minute. Was this guy really a feminist? You know, his, his ex-wife came out and she said, this was all a big cover. Uh, he was terrible to me. He was terrible to other women. He was, you know, using me as a cover and going out and, you know, doing stuff with the actresses and like all this is public. Otherwise, this would be slander. Uh, he's a public figure and this person put that in public. So, you know, if they've sinned, like, I don't think that us repeating that is also a sin. But if you disagree, you know, send us a note. But since then, I mentioned already the the, the Justice League debacle. Uh, which as a fan, I'm very invested in that discussion. Uh, the the actual Justice League comes out on March the 18th on HBO Max from the original director, who's, by the way, gotten nothing but respect and uh, you know approval from people he's worked with, too. I haven't heard any scandal about Zack Snyder, at least not yet. Zack, you better behave yourself. Snyder, not podcast host, but you behave yourself, too. So will I. However, um, Whedon has also been hit uh, just within the past month by a fresh round of accusations from actors who were in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So we're going back to the 90s now. Uh, one actress in particular said, you know, yeah, when I got pregnant, you know, he was nasty to me. He was abusive. And he wrote me out of the he wrote me out of the show with a sudden coma, you know, after I got impregnated by a demon. And like, well, that seems really vindictive. I wasn't there even for the fandom. So I'm just repeating what I've read. But it seems enough to say that Whedon is being canceled and possibly for better reasons. That kind of misconduct, not just words, but actual action, not just words spread to other people across the globe, but action to the people with whom you work in person. Uh, these are very different things. And I don't think that even in our uh, enjoyments of fantasy storytelling, we ought to be enabling this kind of thing or looking the other way just because, well, the guy made a really great show with, with, with spaceships. They're superheroes. Whedon, for his uh, part, has not said anything about this. He has gone completely silent. And while I don't believe that silence is violence, it could go a long way just to hear him repent for this or repent for something. Maybe he could pull a James Gunn and say, yes, I am guilty for this, this, and this. Here's why I think I was doing it. I think I'm a better person now. Like, I mean, that's kind of humanist language. It's not very Christian. You know, Whedon's a big humanist. He's, uh, he's, he's made that very clear, but he's also made it clear he likes to play around with religion. Uh, how many times does Ultron in his movie talk about uh, religion? Uh, he references Noah and the Ark and uh, says something about uh, Captain America, God soldier, or something like that. And you know, that's, that's Whedon for you. Uh, Shepard book from Firefly was this, you know, this kind of religious projection, you know, intended to reflect some measure of faith. So Whedon ought to know better. He ought to know something about repentance and forgiveness. Like I'm sure he's being advised by PR people. Hey, you got to say something, but he's just gone completely dark and that's disappointing. So 
as of this recording, we could probably say, all right, here's an example of maybe something like cancel culture behaving rightly. What then do we do with Whedon's art? I, for my part, think I can still enjoy his stuff mostly. Uh, and the Avengers movies in particular, which I already enjoyed. I actually still defend Age of Ultron as a good movie, not the best, but it's a good movie. Uh, I think that Whedon catches a lot of unfair criticism for that movie. Uh, there was a lot being asked of him for the biggest superhero franchise in the world at that time. Some of that is just pressure on him. And, you know, who knows? You know, maybe that was a factor in onset abuses. I certainly hope not, because I don't care how pressured you are. You don't do that to human beings, even if you're making a movie and it's really hard and you're working 20 hours a day. At least apologize for that, even if you think that the, the pressure was unfair. But Whedon doesn't owe me an apology. I'm a fan, but I'm not the one offended. Like, I am a distant observer. I'm not the person who deserves an apology for that. So let's say he appears on Twitter tomorrow and apologizes to the fans. Like, okay, you apologize for moral failures to the fans, but the first person you need to apologize to is the actresses on Buffy the Vampire Slayer or, or Ray Fisher from Justice League or Gal Gadot from Justice League or any of the other folks that, uh, that feel apparently very legitimately uh, that they were actively harmed, not just by words, but by action, like apologize to those people and then maybe put that apology in public because this is a public issue of public interest. But the first apology needs to be to those folks. I am not God. I cannot forgive Joss Whedon's sin. Even the Pharisees know uh, that someone who is not God cannot forgive the sins that someone committed against another person. Uh, that is a kind of blasphemy. And you're in trouble if you're the Pharisees have better theology about sin and forgiveness than you do. I can still, though, enjoy Avengers. Or if I was a Buffy fan, uh, Buffy fans, yeah, we want to hear from you. Let me know then. Okay, what do you think about the show now? I'd be very curious now. At the same time, and this goes especially for uh, someone who apparently was doing far worse things like Harvey Weinstein. I think it's fitting to look back on the stuff that that person made, even as you still enjoy it. And not separate the art from the artist. Where might be the idols or the messaging in these stories that slipped past our radar last time? And I noticed this when I was reading a big, uh, big coverage about Harvey Weinstein a few years ago, when the reporter who wrote the article observed that his movies defined our perception of women. And that made me realize, yes, they did. And so if the movies are doing this redefinition, what about the person who is financing and producing these movies? How have these people contributed to how we see women in society? Because you might be able to separate the art from the artist, but you cannot separate the art from the consequences. There is a lot of scenes in these movies uh, that the actresses have come forward later and said, you know, that was a bounded choice. I didn't want to do those scenes. And we talked about that several episodes ago. Uh, with um, with the Witcher show, and we talked about that some with uh, with Cap Stewart. Uh, that's real, and we need to look at these stories with open eyes, and then maybe realize, you know, the artist does affect the art, or even the producer or director does affect the art. Let's take note of maybe some of those Easter eggs that, in retrospect, seem to have been hearkening to the egregious moral failings of the art creator. My personal opinion, just my total speculation, is that why Whedon has been 
silent is he's probably being, well, first of all, he's probably being advised by counsel to do that because I, I think some of the accusations may rise to the level of, of, if not criminal law, then like a civil suit. So I, I think he's probably being told by some lawyers not to say anything that could uh, indict himself or whatever. But I, I think that, again, just playing the, the dollar psychologist right now on the podcast, I think that he has too much of a cognitive dissonance between this hero that he put himself out to be. You know, he was called this, you know, male feminist hero, but now it turns out that he was using his position to not protect women, but abuse them. There's been a lot of write-ups like you, you have one there in the notes from, uh, from Jezebel. I found one on GQ from unheard. Uh, Douglas Murray has talked about this, this beware the creepy male feminist. A lot of people can see this pretty clearly that, that Whedon is one of those people that, that shouts so loudly that he's the good guy that you're like, uh, maybe something's going on here. Like he, he seems to be fighting these invisible foes that are supposedly threatening women when it's really himself that he's seeing, he's seeing a version of himself at least as the bad guy. Some people have likened it to the, the cuttlefish, the, the male cuttlefish that, uh, can sort of trick other fish into thinking that it's a female. It, it uses that disguise to take advantage of the the other the actual female cuttlefish. So I I think that Whedon is in that place psychologically. Uh, just again, my speculation that he he can't get out of this view of himself as the hero, and he's not unable to see himself as the villain. The stories still have that power to help us see how villains become the way they are. And we have to sort of look into that. I didn't really know much of his films before Avengers, so I, I couldn't speak to too much of his earlier work. Um, I, I will say that it, it sort of gave me a creepy vibe, though. You know, and not just because I'm, I'm not into vampires, but it, it, there was this disconnect that I saw of, like, female empowerment while at the same time it looked like object, objectification. Well, have you ever seen uh, Firefly Season 1? Only Season 1? There was I, never a I, Season 2? Yeah, a few episodes of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, some of those, like even um, I, I see. I think I watched through the series maybe, maybe twice. And frankly, there are a few scenes that I fast forwarded past because no one, even the fans, don't talk about often enough the the objectification moments in there. Uh, and Nara, in particular, who is like this legalized prostitute who's who's running her services uh, out of the shuttlecraft adjoined to uh, the um, the Firefly ship. Uh, you know, her little storyline there is uh, is is just laden with these uh this innuendo and objectification moments and she's presented as this strong character you know the prostitute with the heart of gold you know and, and enough said about that right. uh, but um actually speaking of heart of gold i think is that the title there is there's an episode if it's not that title then it's uh, very similar to it uh where the crew of the uh of the ship serenity uh, goes to this this planet or no it's all moons that's right this is a this is a firefly flans are going to get on me but uh there's this moon where there is a brothel uh and this whole episode is basically equating sex with love and there's all these women there just and it's all it, it is the most anti healthy feminine thing that i've seen and i i watched this barely because the whole plot is that there's these bad guys that are trying to invade it. And, you know, it's a last stand type thing from my memory. But it, that in particular, I think if I were to ever go back and try to get through that episode, it would not age well at all. 
it seems pretty terrible and a pretty open revelation of some kind of hidden misogyny there because it's trying to play it both ways. Oh, look at these strong women. You know, they're prostitutes, but they're all packing guns and they're going to shoot at the men who come at them. You know, they get to express their, you know, sex work, their sexuality on their own terms and nobody's going to tell them otherwise. And I mean, we're now about to have a whole cultural battle enjoined about, you know, whether or not sex work is healthy and whether or not it's empowering. Feminism is going to be split right down the center uh, over that issue. Uh, and and I, w- I will go on record. I, w- I would stand with even feminists who say, no, this is inherently demeaning to women. Uh, this, is, this is not a helpful uh, thing at all. That episode in particular, I think, might reveal more of what was going on. You know, this, this uh, you said it, Zach, kind of trying to play it both ways. Uh, this idea that, you know, the strong female character is the one who is going to express sexuality in this way and this way and this way. Uh, which just happens to endorse a lot of uh, disordered male fantasies in particular. Uh, going further on this topic, we might get in trouble, so I may just leave it at that. But that, that's kind of part of just going back and watching this stuff again with open eyes and realizing, yes, there's a lot of common grace here, but there's also a lot of idolatry. And that is how Christians ought to be watching anything. You know, Whether or not the artist is a morally upstanding figure, there will be graces, there will be idols. And oh, I'm going to end at least my soliloquy with a quote from, I think this is Whedon's scripted line for uh, the vision, uh, the, the, the synthesoid Marvel superhero uh, from near the end of age of Ultron. And just recently being seen again in the uh, Disney plus series, WandaVision vision catches up to the last uh, Android that has the Ultron code and they have an exchange on a hill uh, as the sun uh, sets. And uh, Ultron says, yes, I'm the last one. And they have this discussion about humanity. And Vision says to the, something to the effect of, well, I just got here, you know, but I think that you are judging the human race wrong. There in, here's the direct quote, quote, uh, there is grace in their failings, end quote. I think that's a good line. And if Wheaton wrote it, that's actually remarkably self-aware. There is grace in their failings but the failings are real. And that doesn't mean that the grace overwhelms the failings. Ultron in particular needs to be destroyed uh, because he's the one who is trying to cancel someone for their failings, you know, irrespective of the grace, but that's not how we ought to behave. And, and vision is correct there. I think in that statement, it's actually a very Christian statement. Well, and I think that's the right response, Stephen, is that any art that we enjoy is made by a fallen, infallible human. So, of course, there's going to be something wrong with it if, if you look close enough. And we, we just have to have that intention at all times that, that we are going to find things that reflect the sinful nature of the Creator, but we're also going to find things that reflect the image of God. And you know what? Uh, nothing that we enjoy in this world is going to be fully one or the other for the most part that we're, we're not going to, we're not going to find the, you know, the perfect movie or the perfect book made by the perfect person. There's going to be something wrong with it, but there's going to be something redeemable about it. That's the hard thing about enjoying pop culture. And it should be hard because there's only one savior in whom there is no failing and only grace. And that's Jesus Christ. Well, to you, our fantastic fans, we'd love to know what you think about these uh, different figures that were canceled or held accountable, however you want to look at it. 
So send us a message and, and what are your, some of your thoughts about these situations? And uh, we're going to go and read from something we got in the mailbag from Sherry after our last episode about do Christians really need science fiction? And Sherry says, quote, I have thought that were I ever to teach a class on cross-cultural evangelism, I would recommend a few works of science fiction as well as more conventional textbooks. Science fiction can help us explore the alienness of other cultures as well as the dangers of assuming similitude based on a superficial resemblance between cultures. It can also warn us of the dangers of assuming that all others think and act as we do or should do so. Some titles that come to mind are Speaker for the Dead by Orson Scott Card, James White's Sector General Novels, which are definitely dated, but we meet many aliens with unique needs requiring creative treatment at this hospital space station, and perhaps the Children of Time series by Adrian Tchaikovsky, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, with a strong disclaimer for language, end quote. Well, thank you, Sherry. Uh, those are, you know, that, that I keep hearing that book recommended, uh, Speaker for the Dead. I've read uh, Ender's Game, and I, need to, I know I need to read that one next, so that's a good reminder for that. And yeah, I, I think I downloaded a sample of Children of Time, so I'll have to check that out too. But thanks for writing us, Sherry. Uh, she's so correct in talking about the, the cross-cultural uh, evangelism aspects that are unique to science fiction. Uh, one thing uh, that my co-author, uh, Jared Moore, is fond of saying is that a, a rightful biblical engagement with popular culture will not only help prepare you or your children to understand and engage the world around us, but actually prepare to understand and engage the next world. Uh, the next generation, you know, the world of the future, uh, even after the parents are gone. Uh, this is a missional strategy, and science fiction is uniquely equipped to help with trying to project where the future could go, you know, and uh, and how Christians should respond, which is uh, hopefully a lot of what we've done in this episode about the cancel culture. Next on Fantastical Truth, speaking of predicting the future, usually we set up our very next episode here uh, to in-cap the episode. However, uh, Zach and I both live in Central Texas, and if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that Central Texas got hit with an unseasonably extreme cold weather. It got down to almost nine degrees, which is, you know, uh, a day at the park for someone from Minnesota. But down here in Central Texas, uh, that is a thing unheard of. The pipes busted. The power went off. Uh, people still don't have water or they have to boil all their water. Uh, there's been a lot of societal upheaval here, and so we need to get to work planning that the next round of episodes. We're going to have a lot of uh, interviews, hopefully, coming up within the next month or so. Uh, some fantasy authors uh, that we've been meaning to get onto Fantastical Truth for quite some time. And we will continue to be exploring more stories made by Christians in the fantastical genres. Make sure to stop by lorehaven.com as well. Our uh, new uh, version is rolling on quite well, going into our third month now of 2021 with some fantastic articles from recurring writers and the very best Christian fantastical novel creators. We also post new reviews on Fridays and, of course, the new podcast episodes on Tuesdays, except when the severe weather hits. Meanwhile, practice appropriate accountability with the people around you, especially if you are a member of a local biblical church. Don't join any cancel mobs. If you do join some call over social media to hold someone accountable for bad behavior, do your homework. Make sure that it's not just because that person said something, but try to pay attention to what that person has been reputably accused of behavior-wise. Uh, have they been cruel? 
or abusive to the people that they've worked with, as opposed to simply saying something potentially offensive uh, over social media. And just make sure always that even when we are confronting these kinds of mobs, that we are doing so with grace. We must be better than the cancel mobs. We must, as Christ's representatives, show love even to our enemies. As we continue to seek and find fantastical truth.